0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet. Peace be upon him. Continuing, Shahab Ahmad, what is Islam? We are now, what page number is that? Where it says, uh, uh, yeah, funny, because in the Kindle, oh, it's page six, page six. Okay, all right, I want you
1: The greatest challenge to a coherent conceptualization of Islam has been posed by the sheer diversity of, that is, range of differences between those societies, persons, ideas, and practices that identify themselves with Islam. This analytical dilemma has regularly been presented in terms of how, when conceptualizing Islam, to reconcile the relationship between universal and local between unity and div- uh, diversity.
0: Okay, so a few points to think about uh, before uh, going further. When we are studying Islam in this method, meaning in the academy, or, or let's take a step back. Some of you have heard this from me. Uh, the academy is answering one question, and then the madrasa is answering a different question. Okay, So the academy is answering the question, how does the world work? So all of the different sciences and such are essentially within their methods trying to explain how the world works. Okay. So the life sciences, you know, this is how this is how life works. Then the physical sciences, physics chemistry, are saying, you know, by way of motion or by way of energy or atoms, this is how the world operates. Okay. And then the social sciences are saying this is how people work. I Meaning these are patterns we can find in the in the way people organize themselves, which we sociology, the way People behave, that will be psychology, the way people, you know, spend and invest and such, and it's probably not the best way to describe it, but the way, money, uh, the way money operates is economics and such. And so the academy is answering the question, how does the world work? So when we are studying Islam in the academy, we're saying this thing that's called Islam, how does it work? And then that raises the question that, okay, if there's so many different ways that Islam works across the world and across history, then, what com- what's common among all of them will answer us the question: What is Islam? Okay. The mother of us is answering the question: What does Allah want from me? So, if I'm Muslim, if I'm raised Muslim, I'm not going to understand the the academy's question, because I'm going to say, I'm going to say, well, Islam is that you pray. Islam is that you know you, you say the Shahada, all those things. Okay. Um, um, but that person is is living Islam according to what Allah wants
1: so, so then in an academic study of Islam you also it's more about like how Muslims operate in their particular ways like yeah. even if it might contradict uh, quote unquote muslim behavior
0: so so yeah uh even though in um the behavior they're doing might contradict text, the primary sources, these people are still Muslim and they're persisting as Muslim and they're identifying as Muslim right and they're telling their children that you're Muslim, right? And... and
1: So I guess my bigger point was, so like, if you're looking at it from an academic lens, you would define that as Islam, yeah, even you, if it was contradictory. Yeah, like that, exactly. That's still, that's Islam.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's part of the debate, right? Uh, some people are trying to push to shift from calling this Islamic civilization to, you know, African civilization, Iberian civilization, uh, Arab civilization, Turk, Turkish civilization, um, Persian civilization, etc., and so forth and so on. Um, and those would also be correct. They would probably be as correct and as incorrect as calling it Islamic civilization. And that's the basic question. Like, if all these different things are calling themselves Muslim, or if all these people are calling themselves Muslim, then what exactly is Islam then? And so what I proposed yesterday was um, look at them according to you know, who are the, the primary figures that they connect to or the primary moments? So, what, com- what unites all these people is some connection to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Right? So remove the label of Islam and call it the, the like, the, the Mohammedan civilization or something, right? And I think that might make it easier to understand.
1: Cool. Okay, continue. Thus, the Archdeacon of Islamic Studies in post-World War II United Kingdom, uh, W. Montgomery Watt, asked a 19, in a 1968 work entitled, like the present one, What is Islam? In what sense can Islam or any other religion be said to remain a unity, when one considers the various sects and the variations in practice from region to region?
0: Okay, so it's the same point that we've been making. Uh, Montgomery Watt, just to give some background about him. So, I like it. This, he's called the Archdeacon of Islamic Studies in post-World War Two United Kingdom. Uh, D- uh, Montgomery Watt, I think he was a monk or a priest or something, uh, but he studied Islam quite a bit, and he was very much on the sympathetic side in terms of Islamic scholars in, in the academy. And so he's done a biography of the Prophet, peace be upon him. He's written history books, he's written but other books. He's a
2: completely orientalist,
0: right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's so even when we speak of the Orientalists, um, uh, usually we think of the skeptics. Yeah. So at the far skeptical end it would be someone like uh, Michael Cook yes. uh, and Patricia Corona, right? Mm-hmm. So Michael Cook and Patricia Corona go so far as to suggest that, um, you know, maybe Muhammad didn't even exist. And maybe where the Muslims are supposed to be praying is not Mecca but, you know, Northeast Ar- uh, Arabia,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And then on the sympathetic side would be someone like uh, Montgomery Watt. And then uh, then you have all the people in between. But the same question. What binds all of these together? Okay, continue.
1: One of the most important figures in the comparative study of religion, Wolfred Cantwell Smith, observed, Islam could perhaps fairly readily be understood if it only had not existed in such abundant actuality at differing times and in differing areas, in the minds and hearts of differing persons, in the institutions and forms of differing societies, in the evolving, in the evolving of different stages."
0: Okay, so, again, the same point, told different ways. He said, it, we could have figured it out, we could have understood it, but if only it didn't grow so much, right? And then it grew so much, and it took on so many different forms. Right? Wilfred Campbell Smith, I think, uh, where did he used to teach, Uh, I think he was at Harvard, and um, uh, he was he would be almost like in the middle middle of you know the the academic study uh, um, scholars of Islam, meaning one side is skeptic, one side is is apologist, but he'd be more on the or sympathetic, and he'd be more on the sympathetic side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Continue.
1: In considering the scale and nature of the phenomenon of variety in Islam in comparison to that of any other religion, it is well to bear in mind that the pioneer of the study of Islamic history as is world history, Marshall G. S. Hudson, pointed out, Islam is unique among the religion among the religious traditions for the diversity of peoples that have embraced it. Mm-hmm.
0: Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you think the same thing of Christianity?
1: Uh-huh. Well, yeah, especially in the colonial period. Uh-huh.
0: Right? I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so Hodgson, he's from U of C, and his history book is the standard for uh, uh, Islamic studies. It's called The Venture of Islam. It's three volumes. And, um, I mean, there's been a lot of academic development since it came out, you know, decades ago. But one of his unique points um, was that, all right, uh, when we as historians are studying all these different regions, we study them in a vacuum separate from everything else. But everything's interconnected. So when it's saying Islamic history is world history, it's saying what you see happening in the Muslim world, has a, ha, we can see that it has effects outside the Muslim world, and what happens outside the Muslim world, we can see it has effects inside. Which you and I might say that's common sense, but when you're when you're going with uh, the rigor of a historian, that uh, that requires a very serious adjustment of, of how you look at the world. So, and there's another point I was going to make about him. Um, oh yeah, so I, mean, I think it's fascinating that he's saying that that Islam has, has had so much uh, diversity. Again, especially in relationship with Christianity.
1: Yeah, I I don't get how you can make that point. Yeah, you were going to say something, sir? I
2: I think this situation is also valid for Christianity. Mm -hmm.
1: There's a lot of diversity for Christianity, Mm -hmm. right? I almost feel like there's more. Maybe more. Is it, uh, and I don't know if this sounds weird, is it because like sort of, where Islam has been, it it got uh, integrated in a different way with, like, with those cultures, so, like, it became more embedded or rooted mm-hmm. in a way that it wasn't, like, you know how we were talking about the separation in between, like, religion and your life, mm-hmm. the rest of your life, but, like, places where Islam sort of grew as a civilizational aspiration, mm-hmm. it, there wasn't that separation.
0: So, some people argue that uh, if you compare Muslim expansion, global expansion, with Christian global expansion, uh, both of them have phases where Islam or Christianity is being imposed upon the populations. But it also seems to be the case that we have a lot of eras, more so in in Muslim expansion, where Islam was not imposed upon the people. Meaning, for the first few uh, centuries after the Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, the Muslim Empire... Uh, was an empire of minority of a minority population ruling over a majority as opposed to forced conversion of everyone else um, there were periods of forced conversion or there was periods of incentivized conversion you know that uh, um, you know raised uh, the price of jizya really high and then people will feel compelled to then become Muslim right uh, you do have that too so I mean, so what I'm saying is that it could be he could be arguing that uh, when Christians came to regions you see you saw much more of an active effort of christianifying the uh the populations, mm-hmm. not just in terms of religious outlook but also in terms of what's going on in the house. Again, I think that's kind of speculation at most. Yeah.
2: yeah. Also I think the, the expansion of Christianity around the world also associate with the rise of modernity yeah. because modernity mm-hmm. mostly emerged in the Western countries and mm-hmm. Christian areas, so Christian population increased around the world with the rise of modernity. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Yeah, it's actually it's interesting that uh, if you look at uh, the population of the world, Prior to colonialism, yes. um, uh, Muslims were probably the largest population yes. of, of um, a single religion. And more dominant. Also. Yeah. And then and then when colonialism happened, that's when the whole world's getting converted. Mm-hmm. You know, before that, um, you know, in Africa it was indigenous African religions, and South America it was indigenous South American religions. And, of course, North America was the Native American religions and such. Then, when you had the British and the Spanish and everyone expanding, then everyone was being converted. Okay, let's continue. It is also helpful.
1: It is also helpful. It is also helpful. Oh, okay, got it. It is also helpful to bear in mind that, as a leading scholar of the concept of civilization has noted, Among the major civilizational works of pre-modern times, Islam was no doubt the most empathetically multi-societal. As one political scientist computed, there are at least 300 ethnic groups in the world today whose populations are wholly or partly Muslim. It is thus not surprising that, already in 1955, in a volume entitled Unity and Variety in Muslim Civilization, Comprising essays authored by Orientalist luminaries of the age, Gustav E. von Gruenbaum Gruenbaum uh, posited posited the problem, problem, unity and diversity, asking, what does, say, a North African Muslim have in common with a Muslim from Java? The very question that the acclaimed anthropologist Clifford Gertz would, in 1968, address in his Islam Observed, religious development in Morocco and Indonesia. Yeah, that was the book
0: we talked about uh, briefly yesterday. He went to look at the two far
1: ends of the Muslim world to figure out what do they have in common, and that can help us figure out what is Islam. Twenty-five years later, in a study entitled Islam in the Heroic Image, Themes in Literature and the Visual Arts, John Renard sent out by underlying that one must ask in what sense one can apply the term Islam and its adjectival form Islamic to cultures so diverse as those from, of Morocco and Malaysia. While recently as 2012, the Pew Research Forum of Religion and Public Life financed and published a massive global survey entitled, The World's Muslims, Unity and Diversity, that sought to determine what beliefs and practices unite these diverse peoples into a single religious community or ummah and how do their religious convictions and observances vary? So all these references are making
0: the same basic point. Uh, But think about this when you imagine what Islam is. um, In terms of how Islam is taught in Chicago in the present day, it's taught as one thing. And we're taught that it was this one thing, whatever it is, going all the way back to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and everywhere you go in the world, it's this one thing. Um, But uh, he's arguing, no. I mean, there is something common in there that we're trying to figure out. But looking from the outside in, it's so different in so many places. And that's also true of Chicago. And I'm not even talking about sectarian differences. If we just look at the people who self-identify as Sunni, how do they do things um, is very, very different. We might say that the vast majority of Sunnis pray the same way. But how many minutes of the day is that? That's half an hour of the day of 24 hours. And so, so, a lot of times today we say, okay, that's religion and that's culture. Okay? But that's a modern separation. Right? Historically, religion and culture were the same thing, meaning it was all culture. So your Islam was your culture. You know. Okay, um, uh, Continue. Uh, what we're probably going to do, uh, because the book is so repetitive, is um, um, jump forward. In fact, let's jump forward right now. Um, Let's go to uh, the next section. Uh, page nine. First, first, there, first is a,
1: there is first Yeah. Hooray? Hur- is that hooray the word? Hooray question. Hori. Hori. Yeah. We wanted to make sure yeah. First there is a hoary question raised repeatedly by scholars. What is Islamic about Islamic philosophy? In a classic study entitled, The Islamic Philosopher's Conception of Islam, Michael Marmura asked, in what sense are we using the term Islamic when referring to them? The need for clarification becomes particularly pressing. Some 30 years later, in his introduction to an encyclopedia of Islamic philosophy, Oliver Lehman noted that the obvious question is, why are the thinkers who are discussed here classified under the description of Islamic philosophy? Some of these thinkers are not Muslim, and some of them are not philosophers in a straightforward sense. What is Islamic philosophy? Mamura answered this question. Memura answered the question in two senses. Islamic refers to refers normally to those philosophers who profess themselves adherents of Islam, the religion, and in general cultural and chronological sense. And for non-Muslim philosophers, indicating that they belong to the civilization characterized as Islamic. Okay, so this is so the first
0: point is he is trying to answer this question, what is Islam, by six uh, uh, different questions. And the first question is, what is Islamic about Islamic philosophy? Meaning, what makes Islamic philosophy Islamic philosophy, as opposed to some other type of, of, of philosophy? And so so one uh, suggested um, definition is, is, um, where'd it go? Um, Islamic refers to those philosophers who profess themselves to be Muslim. Come on. Um, and the other issue is that a lot of people who are categorized as Islamic philosophers are not actually philosophers. So Imam al Ghazali is often categorized as a philosopher, but his writing is not very much of philosophy. Okay, uh, why don't you jump to the next paragraph the fulcrum nature?
1: The role nature of the dilemma is readily evident in the question of whether, for example, it makes sense to call the philosopher Ibn Sina, Avicenna, undisputedly one of the most seminal sources of foundational and orienter, orientational ideas for the civilization and history we call Islamic. An Islamic philosopher, when his Aristotelian and Neoplatonic rationalism led him to the fundamental idea that there is a superior divine truth that is accessible only to the only to the particularity of superior human intellects. And a lesser version of that truth that communicates itself via prophets such as Muhammad and is prescribed to them by the commonality of lesser human intellects. And that, as a logical consequence, the text of the Quran, with its specific prescriptions and proscriptions, is not a literal or direct expression of divine truth, but only what we might call a lowest common denominator translation of that truth into. Inferior figures of speech for the limited edification of the ignorant majority of humankind.
0: Okay, so super simple question. It was about ten lines long. Okay, so Ibn Sina, it
1: Avicenna. Like sentence. Sorry, this a really long sentence.
0: Yeah, so he here's this philosopher um, from the eleventh century, and and so he suggests that okay, Ibn Sina becomes an Islamic philosopher when he t- so he's basically an Aristotelian. Meaning, if you look at what he's doing, he's using Aristotle's style of thinking okay, to, to develop his philosophy. And so, so Shahab Ahmad is saying, uh, Ibn Sina becomes an Islamic philosopher when he's using all of that Aristotle to then get to a divine truth, meaning Al-Haq, meaning God. Okay. And so, he's suggesting that's the moment he became an Islamic philosopher. Up to that point, he was a philosopher in Arabic... Um, he was a philosopher, uh, saying, uh, Islamic type things, but that was the moment he became an Islamic philosopher. Um, and then also he's giving his, his, uh, Shahab Ahmad is summarizing Ibn Sina's thought here, and so, so, listen to what he's saying, um, for the lay Muslim, this is, uh, this is very prickly, but Ibn Sina is one of the most influential philosophers in all of history. Not just Islamic history, definitely Islamic history, but all of history. Meaning, the um, who's the, the Ibn Taymiyyah guy? Um, Yahem Isho. So Yahem Isho, and I found this out from someone else, um, he basically says, um, the like the central figure after the Prophet, peace be upon him, is Ibn Sina. Okay. He says, you can't understand Ibn Taymiyyah without understanding Ibn Sina. You can't understand Imam al-Hazali without understanding uh, Ibn Sina. Right. Um, but here's a look at what uh, Ibn Sina is saying. He's saying, okay, there's this divine truth that is only uh, accessible to people of superior human intellect. Okay. And not everybody can get that. And then what the prophets uh, give, or what the prophets receive and give, is uh, something that, um, he uses the term lowest common denominator, something that the lay people can understand. Okay. But there are people of higher intellect for whom, okay, this is just basic, they go way higher. Good. Um, one
3: of my classes is St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Is that
0: basically the same idea? So St. Thomas Aquinas is also interesting because he's always quoting two people. One is the philosopher, the other is the commentator, and the philosopher he's quoting is Aristotle. The commentator he's quoting is Averroes Ibn Rushd. So Ibn Rushd uh, comes later, he's a different thinker, but... Um, um, it's probably fair to say that Averroes is also getting a lot of his ideas from, from Avicenna, so Ibn Rush is getting his ideas from Ibn Sina. Um, and so what I'm saying essentially is that the architect of, of Catholicism for the past thousand years is St. Thomas Aquinas, and much of what he is getting is from Aristotle and from Muslim thinkers.
1: So, you're saying it's creeping Sharia.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay, continue. <clears throat>
1: As Ibn Sina said in a famous passage on the real truth about God in existence, as for do- divinely prescribed law, one general principle is to be uh, admitted, which is that the prescribed law and doctrines that are brought forth upon the tongue of a prophet are aimed at addressing the masses as a whole. Now it is obvious that the realization of truth cannot be communicated to the multitude. Upon my life, if God the Exalted did charge a messenger, that he should communicate the real truths of those matters to the masses with their dull natures and with their perceptions tied down to pure sensibles, and then constrained him to pursue relentlessly and successfully the task of bringing faith and salvation to the multitude, then he has certainly laid upon him a duty incapable of fulfillment by any man. Prescribed laws are intended to address the multitude in in terms intelligible to them seeking to bring home to them what transcends their intelligence by means of simile and symbol. Otherwise, prescribed laws would be of no use whatever. How can the external, external form of prescribed law be adducted as an adduced, adduced. adduced as argument in these matters?
0: Okay, so sort of the same point. So what we would be saying then is he is saying that Sharia is for the masses. The Quran, there is something higher. Okay. But if Allah were to reveal something higher, people wouldn't be able to handle it. Okay. So the Quran is revealed for the masses, which is interesting because in the way we imagine the Quran in our societies, we say there's nothing you can ever come up with, um, um, and nothing you will ever see higher than the Quran. And Ibn Sina is saying, no, there's a lot that is higher okay. um, that you know only the select few can get. What do you think about that? So are you going to say when, you,
3: when you say get, do you mean like come, like come up with themselves or? It would be it, anyway? it would
0: be to have access to, so meaning they no one will be able to write something better than the Quran, mm-hmm. but there is knowledge from Allah that is higher than the Quran, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you I think, think about, um,
3: there's a hadith or something where um, the prophet said he has like knowledge that he can't reveal to people because it's too frightening or something like
0: that. So there's uh, there's. Uh, uh, a hadith attributed to Abu Huraira, where he basically, and I'm paraphrasing, says, uh, I put um, all the hadith in two jars. The one jar that I share with everyone else, and the other jar that if I shared it, my throat would be cut. Right, that's
3: the yeah. awesome. last yeah.
0: And so, so one way that's understood is that, okay, those things might be too hard for people to accept, or might be ant- related to criticisms of power or something. And the general sentiment is that even if Abu Huraira didn't share it publicly, he probably taught them to his students, meaning we probably haven't lost those hadith, right? Because that would be a contradiction, meaning um, if he himself is obliging himself to share everything that the Prophet has given, then he's probably sharing it in a very quiet way. I mean, I think it's fair to definitely uh, uh, appreciate that, okay, there are things that you can't just throw onto the masses, you'll mess them up. Right. Right? This is one of the criticisms that Imam al-Ghazali had of the philosophers. Like one of his real criticisms was not over their ideas, it's you're giving the people your theoretical ideas, and they can't handle it. Okay? And so even like when, when I'm speaking to all of you in this context, there's things that I'm saying that I would never say in a khutbah, because it'll mess up the people in a khutbah. And in a lot of my classes, um, I'll say, this is not dinner time conversation, mm-hmm. right? And you guys are, some of you probably heard that. And then usually someone goes back and says, yeah, I talked about it dinner and everybody you know, just got completely messed up, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, there are higher levels uh, of knowledge that people are not equipped to address. Um, but then there's higher truths, higher than the Quran, this is what I've been seeing as saying. Yeah.
1: I think, I mean, that makes, like, that makes sense in the sense that, like, you know, if you read the the way the Quran reads, it's not, uh, it is very, it has a sense of, like, practicality to it, Okay. if that makes sense. It's okay. like, this is what you need to know, mm-hmm. right? This is what you sort of need to do in, like, uh, so, yeah, it's not, like, the... I kind of get what you're saying. It's not just about eloquence or, like, mm-hmm. sounding, like, at a high level. I don't, But I don't think that means the book isn't at a high level. Mm-hmm. Because the, the disagreement I would have is, like, because the Quran has the ability to transform, mm-hmm. so it's at a higher level than, like... Than what? Than, like, whatever alternative.
0: Okay, so keep in mind, um, the alternative is not something you're going to find in a book. Right? Okay. Meaning... Um, You are not going to find any work that is higher than the Qur'an for all of eternity. But uh, you can reach truth that is higher than the Qur'an.
1: How? I I don't know.
0: Why? Maybe you just haven't gotten there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I won't get there. But what's the the difficulty about it?
1: Because, like, it's like, uh, because if you make that claim, I've reached a truth higher than the Qur'an, then... Mm -hmm. A, I mean, you're you already sound a little elitist, right, when you say that. And is that bad? Yeah.
0: If you're saying, if you're saying some people gonna go to hell, some people are going to go to heaven,
1: that's, <laughs> that's also elitist. That's different because that's but, God's position, right? And I'm saying if so saying, is the
0: access. So is the access to, to higher truth.
1: I guess, but that's <laughs> it's not a because it's not the prophets I saw telling me that. Okay. It's another person. Okay. And so I'm like, I don't have to buy into that premise, okay. right? Okay. That like it's not necessarily God telling me there's higher truth. It's okay. you. Okay. You know what I mean? Like
0: So what if we have passages from the Prophet, peace be upon him, that can be read that way?
1: Yeah, I mean then I got I mean what can I say? <laughs> okay. But like I guess for me it's it's not what are the implications of that? Like, if so, if you're like, I've reached a higher truth, so we're going to abandon, like, Sharia, and we're going to do... So, whatever.
0: he's saying Sharia is for the masses.
1: Right, but right. it's, like, not... Like, I don't know, that's pretty convenient, man. Like, sh- like mm-hmm. it's, it's for the masses, it's not for me, man. Like, so,
0: I mean, what you're, what you're illustrating is that this concept can definitely be abused. Yeah. Right? But does that mean it's false, just because it can be abused? I don't think it is. Yeah. Yes, that. No, I, I just don't I don't have an issue with the premise because even Laura's uh, like, yeah, I've I've reached I've, I've, I've reached that, that <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's like so many ayahs where Allah
3: is saying in the Quran, like you do not realize or you mm-hmm. do not know. So mm-hmm. if Allah chooses to like clearly it's saying like this is the ayah and then there's things above this that you do not know. Mm-hmm. So if Allah chooses to reveal that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can be abused.
0: So uh, to, to make this point that um, there are ideas that, I mean, you you may realize that there are ideas and concepts that the masses can't handle. This passage, have you ever heard this before? Of what we've just gone through with Ibn Sina? Now, even the idea itself that there's a higher truth is too much for what the masses can handle.
1: I've had, you know, I've definitely been exposed to, like, not doing things for the masses. And, like, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely there.
1: But, like, I've always been uncomfortable with that at a level because I'm, like... Who's to determine who the masses are? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm in a circle and someone's like, this isn't for the masses, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I shouldn't be here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what? Because I don't, I mean, I'm not like, I don't consider myself a regular person. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: mm-hmm. What? Because I'm stupid. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you went to New Trier, you, you graduate from Loyola, school. and you're going to med school. Okay. You're the 1%. <laughs> Inshallah. <no>.
1: Inshallah.
0: <laughs> Inshallah. Up. Inshallah. Okay, uh, continue with uh, Ibn, uh, Ibn Sina.
1: Ibn Sina, and just about all the philosophers with him, arrived hence at the higher truth, conclusions that the world is eternal, that God does not know the particulars of what we do and Oh, uh, what say. do you think about
0: this? Okay, keep going. Oh. Ugh, yeah. This getting
1: suspect. Yeah. That, there will only, there, that there will be no bodily resurrection on a day of divine judgment, that there is no paradise or hellfire, and that the specific prescriptions and proscriptions of revealed law are not intrinsically true but only instrumentally so meaning that they are not necessarily any truer or more valid than other forms of truth
0: all right so how much difficulty did you have reading that uh, that paragraph let's take it backwards or I feel in like reverse yeah you to go pray down yeah you have to re- re- <laughs> retake your shot that yeah. yeah so so let's do it from the end and then moving uh, up to the beginning so the specific uh, prescriptions and proscriptions meaning the specific uh, commands and prohibitions of the sharia are not a, are not truth okay mm-hmm. they're instruments okay okay yeah. it's like that's 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 fine so far yeah okay.
1: that's the, I mean if you're looking at it from an I feel like an academic lens of course that's how you'd see it okay but what? I don't know in our I don't, I don't know, in our tradition, has it, oh, have they been seen as instruments or truths?
0: Um, what will, how do you understand the difference between an instrument and truthness for anybody? Yeah.
1: I guess the person, I guess it's hard to gauge, right? It's just a person's belief. Like, but what I'm thinking of is like, if, there, I don't know. What
0: does the word sharia mean?
1: Path, like, to okay. a water hole?
0: Sounds like an instrument.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's also true. Water's truth.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the water, the sharia has to get you to the water. Okay. Yeah. Meaning, um, don't drink, okay? Uh, is that an instrument, or is that truth? It sounds like an instrument.
1: It sounds like an instrument, but like it's... Might, we're not
0: saying it's it's fake or falsehood.
1: But it is a truth if, if you're doing it out of obedience, isn't it? Then the
0: obedience is the truth.
1: Yes. Okay, but that's not... It's not inseparable from the instrument. Okay, it doesn't mean it's, 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 yeah,
0: I mean, it's, we're saying these are different functions. And so, what is, so, but, okay, uh, so we're saying here that the Sharia is an instrument. An instrument for what? For me to get closer to Allah. Okay no so, to say uh, so.
2: uh, therefore we some scholars developed the makasid de sharia mm-hmm. so and then they are discussing the, what is the ultimate truth of uh, mm-hmm. ultimate this purpose of point. sharia yeah makasid sharia yeah. so so
0: so what's what's uh, explain to us what is makasid sharia
2: makasid sharia means uh, mm-hmm. how can I explain so don't drink alcohol for example and this is instrumental uh, right. but what is the purpose here and uh, remove you from some unacceptable behaviours and thoughts and, mm-hmm. so, and scenes. They are the Meqasid of Sharia. Mm-hmm. So. So,
0: so, think of it this way. So, there's the Usul, which is the interpretation of each, each ayah, each hadith. Okay? Yeah. Like, this is what we we're supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to know. And then, if you were to say, what's common among all of these ayahs in hadith? That's maqasid. Meaning, so maqasid, the the view of maqasid is saying, what's common among all the ayahs in hadith is a principle that you have to preserve life. Okay? Which means what? The Quran might say, in this given setting, the ayah says, kill them wherever you find them. Okay? Um, Why are we, you know, five of us sitting here, Why are we not doing that right now? I mean, the ISS, kill them. But the Maqasid is saying the overall purpose is is preservation of life, so that doesn't apply in this context. Because the literalists will say, okay, these are all commands, these are all commands I have to fulfill right now. Maqasid is saying these are all commands from Allah uh, that will probably be fulfilled at different times, but you have to figure out, is it the appropriate command to fulfill right now? It's just like discussions we've had. If you have a convert, what is my instruction that I give to every convert that no convert listens to? <laughs> oh, What's the first instruction? You'll be like, oh, yeah. It's don't something. Don't, yeah. Don't uh, change anything.
3: Don't change anything. Yeah,
0: don't change anything oh, in God. your practices. <laughs> don't change anything. Which means I'm saying that if you're doing haram one, two, three, four, five, six, uh-huh. I'm saying don't change anything right now. And a lot of times the student will say, are you saying it's okay for me to drink? I said, that's not what I said. I said, just don't change anything. You're going to see something else around.
2: No, I, I, uh, I was planning to give an example for a Makas yeah. For example, in the, in the contemporary debates, some Muslims try to establish Islamic State mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. bring justice, equality, freedom for Muslims. Mm-hmm. But some other modernists or different people say oh, no, democracy and also can bring a." them Demo- uh, justice, freedom, mm-hmm. equality, so and then they say the, the ultimate purpose of Islamic government is to bring uh, justice. Mm-hmm. So therefore they say we don't need Islamic State, so mm-hmm. because it's not uh, compatible with the uh, Makassar sharia because it's dominate religion to all peoples. Mm-hmm. But in society we have different peoples.
0: So, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. so 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 the, the question we're addressing is that, you know but, Yeah, go ahead.
1: In terms of, should he have, I get that it's an instrument, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're saying, because he's not just saying it's an instrument. He's saying it's like any <clears throat> other instrument.
0: Um, I don't know that he's saying it's, it's he's like, like it's an any other instrument, but we have to be clear of what it is not. Okay. It is not in itself truth.
1: Even if it comes from the divine.
0: It comes from the divine. It's a divine command, right? Um, but the truth is the divine. This is a command to help appreciate that the divine is the truth. And, and the alcohol is the easiest example because, you know, my mind is all is all warped from, from the moment of drinking. I'm not going to be able to appreciate the truth of the divine. And I will probably engage in behaviors which will make me get even dis- more distant. But
1: but you could, like, but there's also behaviors that your mind won't get warped in. Like? Like, or eating, eating pork. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's not going to affect, in any way we understand, like... So your, your ability to appreciate the divine, okay. but it's still a command to not eat. It's
0: still a command to not eat, yeah. Right. But it could be that um, there are things that will be in, in effect. Uh, one is that if you're not going to eat pork, you've already ruled out a number of people you're never going to be eating with. Right. We often think of meat based on the, the, the issue of slaughtering. You know, can I eat this? Can I eat that? Um, part of the issue is who are you going to eat with? Wow. Right? It's a social. It's, it's also a social command. If you don't drink, then it's automatically excluding you from from some social relationships, and likewise for the meals that you have, right? Now, it is not uncommon for us to all, you know, we we'll go to a cafeteria and the friend in front of you is eating pork. Uh, you're still going to feel something negative about it, right? When that when you know your friend is eating you know a pork sandwich.
1: Negative or jealous? Sorry? Yeah,
0: negative or jealous. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's go to the, the one right before that. I have a question for us, sir. Yes, sir. So, what would be an example of an intrinsic truth then? You know, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. I can't think of anything else besides that. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That the, the, whole of, <laughs> the whole of Islam, uh, From in this language, we're saying the whole of Islam is to reach. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Yeah. But that as a concept is too difficult for most people. It's too difficult for most college students.
1: It's not that the concept is difficult. What I'm thinking of is like, is that really how it was understood Mm -hmm. by like its early Mm -hmm, adherents? You know?
0: Okay, so how would we figure that out? Uh,
1: Ask you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
0: I think it's fair to say. Or uh, uh, think of some examples, um, like there's the example uh, that's often given, um, there's some prisoners of war, and the Prophet, peace be upon him, Abu Bakr and Umar are deciding, what should we do? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, Abu Bakr is saying what? Let's ransom them. Okay? And what is Umar saying? say? is like... <laughs> Let's execute them. But he, was okay.
1: saying, he was like, wasn't he like, have their fa- have like, whoever's like son, like father kill their own son, like brothers...
0: Maybe, maybe he took it that far, but he's saying they should be executed, okay? And then Allah reveals that they should be executed, which means Omar was correct. Abu Bakr, he was correct, and Abu Bakr, super sahaba, Omar was more correct than him. And Omar also gave an answer more correct than what the Prophet, peace be upon him, gave, right? So, would Omar ever say that I'm better than the Prophet? No. But is it fair to say that Omar um, has developed, some, has some insights? Uh, yeah. I mean, not, we're not saying he has insights that the prophet does not have. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are something like, like...
1: intuition, th- maybe.
0: We might call it intuition, but here we would call it access to, divine, to a higher truth. Right? And another way to frame it is there is about 15 ayahs that are called Omariyahs. ayas. Why? 'Cause these are issues that he brought up and gave answers. Wasn't that cool, like how the light <laughs> just turned off right at that moment? <coughs> these are issues that he brings up and he answers and then an eye comes and basically confirms what he's saying. So he knew the ayah. Not necessarily the words, but he knew the ayah. He knew
3: what was the, yeah, the before the ayah came down. Yeah. But couldn't you <coughs> attribute that not to a higher truth but to different people's um, Individual strategi- strategizing because I'm thinking of the Battle of Badr and where that one guy um, told the Prophet that they should move mm-hmm. camp somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That wasn't like, I don't think that was a higher truth thing. That was just yeah, strategizing. I don't,
0: that we would call strategizing, right?
3: So why would, why would Omar's insights be access to a higher truth, whereas that would be.
0: Meaning that's one example. So, uh, so Omar has a, uh, a whole bunch of different aspects of life where he's doing this. Yeah, yes.
3: I know it's not a perfect comparison, but I'm thinking about it like in talents or gifts. Mm-hmm. Some people might be better singers or mm-hmm. better than others. So yeah. it doesn't mean that that person is better than the prophet, peace be mm-hmm. upon God forbid. But that God might like Don't grant say that. Some, an <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that God might mm-hmm. like grant people those insights.
0: I mean, uh, the prophet peace be mm-hmm. upon said, "If there would we if there were to be another prophet after me, who would it be? Amr." Amr. Right. So uh, yeah,
1: I'm guessing that's a sunny.
0: Idea. I mean, it's it's <laughs> most definitely sunny. But yeah, but uh, but that's uh, that's part of the the, the point is that um, that there is this access available, um, or you can call it access given. So okay, okay. We now let's get to the next one then, uh, and then your head will explode. Wait. <laughs> yeah. So
3: wouldn't then? That like I guess the reason for me it's not as like outrageous to think about is the Prophet peace be upon him had those insights higher than Quran, mm-hmm. but he was instructed to reveal the mm-hmm.
0: Quran. Yeah, so, the Prophet himself. Um, um, remember, he didn't start at the top level of, of Iman and stayed there. He was at, in terms of people, it would be fair to say he's at the top level of, of Iman before he receives his first revelation. And then each day, maybe each hour, he's going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And the Sahabas, the super Muslims, are trying to get to the level that he was perhaps at, before Wahi, right? And so he himself is describing himself as getting higher in Iman, right? Um, um, it's eleven fifty eight. But let's uh, touch on the next one, right? Just so, um, and we won't finish it, just to keep you. On my toes. Yeah. So, no bodily resurrection on the day of judgment. No paradise. No hellfire. So from a textbook Aqidah perspective, this would be Kufr, right? Yeah. And he'd say, yeah, that's fine, but that definition of Kufr is for the masses, right? This is, this is the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. And that so he's saying is that is there to uh, to help people, um, you know, affect their behavior to help people access this higher truth, and so then what would be uh, the paradise or hellfire? It'd be nearness or distance from Allah. Okay. Meaning, if you lived your life, you're trying to get closer to Allah, then the reward will be this pleasure of Allah,
1: okay.
0: and the punishment will be the displeasure of Allah. That is actually the case, and everything else is just all the descriptions are metaphors, you know.
3: the um, mm-hmm. and then what is one one Allah? So translation, very It says, it says um, "For the believers, is heaven rivers flowing beneath, mm-hmm. and then the pleasure of Allah is greater." Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say that. Well, according to him, it's for the masses. But it doesn't say that heaven doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. So,
0: so it's probably better to say uh, this would probably be better to say, "As we conceive of it, the hereafter is not the hereafter." All right, but that's that would be to translate it for the masses.
1: Okay. Right, but that's, a, like, once you've, in my mind, once you've sort of abandoned the, uh... What? The framework of, like, akida and, mm-hmm. like, uh, and you're saying, well, no, 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 this doesn't apply, like, mm-hmm. then it's like you, anyone can make any claim.
0: Well, again, you're talking about what the what the risks are, right? But that doesn't negate the fact that this is possible.
1: Yeah, but anything's possible, I mean, like...
0: Yeah, and that's what he's exactly saying. <laughs>
1: But, um, is it, I don't know if I would say it's possible. If you Because if you believe, like, I think part of, part of faith is belief in heaven and hell and the, in the unseen, right? Like,
0: okay. Uh, unseen, sure. Okay. What? And
1: like, uh, and heaven and hell are very, like, clearly described and expressed through divine...
0: So is that literal or metaphor? Those depictions?
1: I don't think... You know, I would say it's literal only because I've never, it's sort of never been taught and understood to me to be metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't mean that it's not metaphorical. I guess, but you also said part of the tradition is like learning from person to person, right? Mm -hmm. And if the Sahaba were teaching Muslims, Mm -hmm. right, like this, and they'd never sort of Mm -hmm. regard it in a metaphorical sense, then I don't think we have any... Mm-hmm. basis to say like it's but a metaphor
0: do we know that they didn't do that I mean I think we can I give think many so, examples. Yeah. but they've never been to paradise but yeah but we're still <laughs> yeah um, uh, think of it from a different perspective so Imam al-Ghazali has 40 books in his Ihya. Okay. when does he talk about paradise and all that stuff mm-hmm. last book so 39 books don't even talk about it much right um, or even think of Riyadh al-Salehin or whatever it is you know the, the standard at like every masjid when does it start talking about paradise? The last chapter, right? So we could say that's what, um, you know, the ultimate goal is, that's why it's last. Um, or, that's the least important thing to know, compared to everything else.
1: But didn't, didn't Aisha of the and Anhu say something differently? What'd she say? It wasn't she like, the, if the, like the commands and prohibitions came first, no one would believe? But like, For the masses, yeah.
0: But what about Abu Bakr?
1: Yeah, but would you consider the Sahaba the masses? I mean, the first things were... Meaning the
0: masses uh, of that generation, yeah. Meaning, but would we say, wouldn't we say that Abu Bakr and Omar, you know, Ali, Uthman, are at a level way higher than the rest of the Sahabas? I'd say we'd absolutely say that.
1: Yeah, I mm. mean, sure, but... Okay,
0: we'll continue this next time, inshallah. We're going to stop here. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasta kfiru khanu ilayk. Wa akhiri da'wana. An alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.